0: Hey, everybody, thanks for joining me today. Oh, we got a good topic today. Something probably, I don't know if it's ever been covered before, but you're going to hear it here on New Hope Radio and the Hope Club podcast. What did Jesus like to eat? That's what we're going to say. What did he like to eat? You think that's important? When you find out what do you like to eat, you're going to say, Oh, I'd like to have some of that too. So we're going through some of the things that Jesus said only to his disciples. That's it. He didn't say it to the crowds. He only said it to his disciples. Now, there are many things that we can learn about Jesus, about his work, about his mission, his person, right? We're learning about his attributes. We learn from his teachings and even the miracles that he did. But like I said, there's one aspect of him that's rarely spoken of, and that is, what did Jesus like to eat? You know, the Bible actually tells us what his favorite food was, and we're going to take a look today and see if we can figure it out. We're going to be in John chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up in the first verse, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and he went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground, that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Okay? So we're going to kind of set the scene, and let's see what's going on here. Okay? Notice what Jesus was doing and what he was not doing. He was making disciples. That's what he was doing. That's important. Getting people to follow after him. And by following after him, it means that they would kind of like, you know, duplicate his ministry, tell people the good news. And notice what he was not doing. He wasn't baptizing. He wasn't doing that. So back in verse 1, It tells us he was making disciples, even more than John, but he was not baptizing the people. Good thing, because I'll tell you what, can you see the division between those that were baptized by Jesus and someone else? It'd be like, oh, we got the real baptism. We were baptized by Jesus. So he left the naysayers, and he went to Galilee. But uh uh-oh, he had to pass through Samaria. And the Jewish people, you know, they didn't go through Samaria. Samaria. They didn't like the Samaritan people. I don't think the Samaritan people like the Jewish people either. So, but he went through Samaria. He didn't care. And he arrived at a well with his disciples. And Jesus sent them into a nearby village to buy some food. And he remained at the well. Oh, wouldn't you know it? Here it is now in the heat of the day, right? And a woman arrived to get some water. It was, it was noontime, the hottest time of the day. Sun's beating down on your head. So they have a conversation. Jesus talks about living water. She talks about natural water, the water that's in the well. Jesus talked about the Messiah. She said, oh, yes, I know. He's going to come one day. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You know, he didn't tell too many people who he was. But he told her. And then at this point, verse 27, his disciples came back and they were amazed that he'd been speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? Number one, she was female. Number two, she was Samaritan. They're like, whoa, this is different. We don't don't do these things. Number one, we don't speak to women in public and especially Samaritans. We got nothing to do with them. So when the disciples came back, you know what she did? She dropped her water pots and went back into the city. All the men are hanging out downtown, maybe playing checkers. And she went back to tell the men that she met someone who might be the Messiah. She said, I I met someone who told me everything about my life. Do you think he's the Messiah? So she's a smart lady. She didn't say to them man, hey, I found the Messiah. They would have said, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, honey. She didn't tell the men she found the Messiah because you can't tell men anything. Their heads are like the rock of Gibraltar. So she said, do you think he could be the Messiah? And they're like, Oh, you stay here. We'll go check it out. We'll come back. And t- <laughs> we'll come back and tell you. So meanwhile, verse 31, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, here it comes now. I have food to eat that you don't even know about. Now these disciples, they're like us, a work in progress. I'm a work in progress, that's for sure. You probably are too, right? So in verse 33, the disciples, well, the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? I mean, they were all together. How did somebody bring him something to eat? And Jesus said, listen, this is what I like to eat. Now you're going to get the heavy revy." Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Oh, that's an interesting note. Jesus often said things that were misunderstood. It's because he uses natural illustrations to convey a spiritual meaning. Remember when he talked to Nicodemus? Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus is like, what? How's that happen? Would I have to go back in my mother's womb? How am I going to be born again? See, he didn't get it. It was over his head. To the woman at the well, he said, I have living water. She said, where's your bucket? Show me this living water. You don't even have a bucket. She didn't understand. Wait, living water, you don't need a bucket. The disciples, he said to them, I already ate. (laughs) But wait a minute. The disciples left Jesus. He was hungry. He was tired. And he was thirsty. And yet when when they returned, he was all set. He was like, no, I'm good. Like, what? Let me give you an illustration. William Wilberforce. He fought to end slavery in England in the late 1700s. And it was said he was an ailing creature, where members of the House of Commons used to smile at his strange little figure. But when he spoke with such fire, people used to crowd the benches to hear him. And they said, The little minnow became a great whale. Also, John Knox, whose pastor was John Newton. Now, you know, John Newton was a converted slave trader. He later wrote Amazing Grace. Well, John Knox was so old and frail, he had to be carried up to the pulpit. But when he opened his mouth to preach, it was like he knocked the pulpit into splinters, they said. And the Old English, they said, he dinged the pulpit with blads. The Word of God filled him with supernatural strength. It changed these guys. In their natural state, they were fragile, frail, weak. But when they spoke the Word of God, they became like giants. They became powerful and strong. So Jesus said to them, listen, my food, you know what I like to eat? It's to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So wait, yeah, he was hungry. He was tired. He was thirsty. but Not anymore. Why? Because even by sharing the word, something (laughs) happened. He became fulfilled. Have you ever been energized by sharing the word of God with someone? I bet you have, and you know there's nothing better. It seems like this, this, this energy wells up inside you when you're sharing the gospel with someone, and they start to receive it, and they're asking questions, and they want to know more, and they, and all of a sudden you're like whoa, like a fire, it's burning inside of you, and you know, hey, there's nothing better. Nothing better than sharing the Word of God. It gives you strength. It gives you stamina, fulfillment. It's like you ate because you're so filled up. You know, Jesus said of his Father, He who sent me and to accomplish his work. I do his work. Now, when Jesus used the word that the Father sent him, it's the word pempo, and it means to dispatch. Jesus was dispatched to do the Father's will. And he found great satisfaction and fulfillment in doing so. He was sent on a mission. And the more he involved himself in the mission, the more alive he became, the stronger he became. And it's like his natural needs were met by his spiritual work. Think about that. How does that happen? His natural needs were met by his spiritual work. William Barclay said, Jesus is the only person who never did what he liked, but always what God liked. Oh, yeah. He was sold out for his father. He was. You know why he went to the cross? He loved his Father. Yes, he loves us, but he loved his Father. He wanted to please the Father. He wanted to serve the Father. Later on, Jesus said, the very works that I do. Testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father sends him on a mission, and Jesus is all too happy to oblige. Yes, Father, I will go. I will do what you ask me to do. I will say what you tell me to say. Whatever it is, I will do it. You know what that is? That's faith. That's faith and love. Jesus did this in the strength of his humanity, by the way. You know, it wasn't like he paraded himself around as deity. In the doctrine of kenosis, he laid aside his deity. He humbled himself as a man. And he he actually completed his mission as a faithful human, but one that served the Father with great faith. And he's the only human to ever defeat an angel. He defeated the devil. As a matter of fact, the highest of all the angels. Are you kidding me? In his humanity, Jesus defeated the highest of the angels. That's incredible. It's incredible what he did. So Jesus was like sold out for his father and for his father's will. He was still later on he said in john eight twenty nine "He who has sent me is with me." That's confidence. We need to have that kind of confidence that God is with us. I know we say it, but you know there are times in our life when we sure don't act it. There are times in our life when we panic, when we worry. We get anxious, and we know with all our heart, God is with me, but we just don't seem to abide in that. We give away our security that God is with me. But Jesus knew, no, every step of the way, God is with me. He knew God was with him when he was facing the Pharisees. He knew God was with him when he was healing people. He knew God was with him when he was carrying the cross to Calvary. He knew God was with him when he was hanging on the cross, except for there were three hours where his father turned his back. And he wasn't with him because he was judging him for all of our sins. It's the only time that they had broken fellowship. But during his whole ministry, Jesus said, the father has not left me alone. For I, oh man, this one blows my mind. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He did that for three years. I I try to do it for one day. I try to get through one day, always do the things that are pleasing to him. I don't even know if I've done that yet, if I've made it through a whole day. But Jesus did it for like every day for three years. I'm like, that's incredible. No wonder he was so fulfilled. And this is where it comes from. Jesus was obedient to his Father because he loved his Father. I know what our problem is. We love God, but then sometimes we love ourselves. And sometimes we love ourselves in place of loving God. And we put ourselves first instead of whatever God's will is for our life. We do. Maybe because we have a sin nature. You know, maybe because we fraternize with the world. I know there's so many reasons why we're not like faithful like Jesus was. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the love that he had for his father. See, the only proof of love lies in doing what the one you say you love asks you to do. That's the proof of love. You say you love someone. And they ask you to do something. And when you do it, that's the proof of love. Action. So how do we know Jesus loved the Father? Because whatever the Father asked him to do, he did. He did it. No questions asked. He never put himself first. He put the Father first. That's the Christian life. Think about it. That's the Christian life. It is Jesus' desire that we would do as he does. See, that's that's being Christ-like. I mean, isn't that why we go to church, right? We go to church to learn to be like Christ. We don't go to church to fill a notebook, and then we can go and win debates and win arguments. That's not the goal. The goal is to become, here it comes, like Christ. Christ. Christ like. The Pharisees could win arguments, but they are far from God. I know people that can win biblical arguments, but man, they don't even resemble Christ at all. So the, this is the goal. And you know, the Apostle Paul said the goal of our instruction is love. That with all of our learning, if we fall short of love, we haven't attained the intention of our learning. The intention of our learning is to love like Christ loves. That's that's what it's all about. So Jesus, he's like, I want you guys to do like I do. I want you to, number one, love the Father the way I do. He would want that for us. Love God the Father the same way he loves God the Father. Okay? Okay. That'll really solve a lot of problems, let me tell you. That'll stop us from doing dumb things. Just keep loving the Father. Secondly, Jesus says, I want you to do this. Obey the Father like I did. Be obedient to him. You read the Bible, you know what it says. You know what he wants you to do and what he doesn't want you to do. Obey him. Don't make excuses. Don't rationalize it away. Do what the Father says. That's what Jesus did. He's saying, do what I did and obey the Father. And then thirdly, Jesus would say, I want you to find fulfillment the same way I did. Find fulfillment. And how did he find fulfillment? By doing the Father's will. That's how. He said, my food. What strengthens me, what satisfies me, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. You know, aren't you glad he didn't leave the work undone, half done, 90% done? I mean, what if he got off the cross only after two hours of paying the penalty for our sins? That means that one hour of judgment wouldn't have been done and what sins would be retained? I don't know. But it wouldn't be good. One third of the sins of the world would still be out there. And that'd be enough to keep us out of heaven. So Jesus finished it. He paid for every sin ever committed. He Finished the work. Now there's nothing keeping us out of heaven except our own Free will. That's it. So, this is what Jesus likes to eat. And that phrase, likes to eat, of course, we're not talking literally, but we're talking what does food do? Food energizes, food makes one content, food satisfies. So, think about the will of God for your life. By doing God's will, you become energized. Not tired, energized. Then you become content because you're living and what God called you to. And then you find fulfillment. And when you have fulfillment, a guide, you know, you don't have to go chasing the things in the world. You don't have to run to casinos. You don't have to run to nightclubs. You don't have to run to things that are just like, you know, of the world. I believe there are places that Christians, you know what? It's a waste of time to be there. It's not God's will for your life. And people can make their own choices. That's okay. but And we will all answer for the choices that we make. But let's really take a look at the, the thing that Jesus said to his, here it comes, disciples. Remember, these messages are about what he said to his inner circle. Do you consider yourself that? Are you on the fringe? Are you in the multitude? Are you in the crowd? Or are you in the inner circle? I don't know. I don't know where you are. But that's what we have to figure out for ourselves. Where am I? And if you're in the inner circle, then this is for you. If you're not, okay. You can go do what you want to do. But if you consider yourself a disciple of Christ, this is what Jesus says to you. He says, listen, I get filled up doing my Father's will, and I would like you to do the same. Because the path that you're on is to lead you to become like me. That's the path. That's the path. And we need to keep walking that path. Straight and, don't go left, don't go right. Remember Pilgrim's Progress? Remember the pilgrim? all kinds of obstacles in his way. Things tried to distract him. No, man, I'm on the way to the land of promise. And all kinds of things get in the way. You got to keep focused. You got to keep going. And that's what we have to do. It's a journey. And it's a journey with ups and downs and curves and stumbling stones and potholes and ruts. And sometimes we can't see around the next corner and it's foggy, but you got to just keep going. That's the key. Keep going. It doesn't matter what the environment is. Keep going. It doesn't matter what's in front of you. Keep going. I remember a story about, this back in, I think, like the 1800s. This ranch had a fence around it and there was a gate and there was a sign on the gate and it said, when you approach the gate and you're in your horse and buggy, don't slow down, keep going to the gate. And if you kept going to the gate, even it looked like you were going to crash into it, there was a, under the dirt was a spring. And when the wagon wheel hit the spring, the gate opened. And you, you would go through it. But if you didn't believe the sign, and you got to the gate and you stopped, the gate would never open. And you would go no further. And you'd be stuck there. Stuck. Trap like a rat. And the key to getting through the date, through the gate, don't stop. Believe the sign. Keep going by faith. And when the wheel hits the spring under the dirt, the gate flies open and you go through. So there are obstacles in front of us sometimes, but we don't let obstacles prevent us from going through. No, we don't do that. Obstacles are God's business. It's his job. He'll remove the obstacles. He certainly will. It's not something we have to worry about. What we have to worry about is maintaining faith. That's all. Faith is our business. Obstacles is God's business. Okay. So let's keep that in mind. That's why I love to read the gospels. The gospels show Jesus in action. We see him with the sick. We see him with the children. We see him with the hopeless. We see him with the down and out, with the th- those in despair. We see him like he's with the sheep without a shepherd. And we see how he handles people in his compassion and his tenderness. And sometimes his his righteousness that speaks against the self-righteous, the Pharisees. And we see all aspects of the Lord. And by watching Jesus, we get a pretty good sense of what God is like. And then Jesus says, you see that? I want you to become like me. You think you can do that? I want you to be the kind of person that's fulfilled, that's satisfied, and that's contented in this life. And you can do it too. By doing what? By doing the will of the Father and accomplishing His work. Oh, I'm sure Jesus mystified those disciples at times. But you know, after the resurrection, man, they got it and they were like will changes. you know that. Oh, yeah, they had the Holy Spirit and they saw the resurrected Christ. They're like, let me go. Turn me loose. I'm ready to go. And that's what we should be. It's after the resurrection, Jesus has ascended into heaven. Here we are. We got the Holy Spirit. It should be like, turn me loose let me go I got work to do I got the Father's will to accomplish that's going to make me content satisfied and fulfilled hey you can hear this message again on the Hope Club podcast it's on our website too newhopecc.tv and join me in the mornings for Instagram Dave Therrien Instagram 6034 a lot of Dave Therrien's on there I don't know where they came from Betharian 6034. We're going through the Psalms every morning, 6 o'clock, but you can get it anytime during the day. Join me and hit the like button so we know that our audience is participating. I'll see you next time.